road again Going places that I've never been Seeing things that I may never see again I can't wait to get on the road again Hey everybody and welcome to the Where's Willie podcast. Join me, William Miller, as I travel the country talking to manufacturers of all types about their trials, tribulations, and triumphs in the industry. This show is brought to you by Koganay International America, Inc. Hey everybody, welcome to the Where's Willie podcast, a national manufacturing podcast sponsored by Koganay International America, Inc., a global manufacturer of more than 512,000 components that help miniaturize every device, machine, robotic, and automated process in every industry of manufacturing. Today on the Where's Willie podcast, my travels take me to Pinellas Park, Florida, the world headquarters of Matico. I am extremely honored to introduce my guest, as he has completely transformed his company to now serve thousands of lives impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic right now. Sean Kitchell is the president and CEO of Matico, a manufacturer and distributor of a broad range of protective, functional, and decorative material-based solutions, including films, coatings, and laminates. He also serves as president of VDI, a custom roll-to-roll metalizer of evaporative, sputtered, and e-beam coatings. Kitchell has worked in the converting industry for more than 25 years, previously serving in senior management roles with Avery Dennison, International Paper Company, and Weyerhaeuser Company. Kitchell most recently initiated the purchase of Matico's new Pinellas Park, Florida manufacturing facility. This investment in greater capacity supports Kitchell's long-term growth plans for Matico and expands the company's capability to serve more market segments. Kitchell is the director and president of Matico's Board of Directors, as well as president of the VDI Board of Directors. He earned a bachelor's in mechanical engineering from Missouri University of Science and Technology and a master of science degree in management from Cardinal Stritch University. Kitchell is trained in Six Sigma and lean manufacturing principles. Mr. Kitchell, a couple things. Number one, I am honored to have you be a guest on the podcast. And my first question is this. What kind of a leader walks into his company that's been in business over a hundred years and says, we're going to stop making everything we've been making and immediately start making two products, face shields and hand sanitizers, two things we've never made before to help as many lives as we can. Well, first of all, it's a pleasure to be here. And yes, that is a big challenge. But perhaps if I give you a little background on the company and what we do, that'll help to explain. As you had mentioned, Matico's been around for 117 years. We were founded by two entrepreneurs who originally made leather greeting cards, if you can imagine leather greeting cards. Wow. And throughout our history, you know, we've been known for innovation and change. So if you go back 117 years, the companies withstood two world wars, the Great Depression, and several pandemics. So I think in our corporate DNA is a gene of innovation and change. So that's part of who we are. But also part of who we are as a company, we want to be responsible citizens of the communities we're in, and we feel it's our obligation to contribute as much as we can. So once we identified that there was a critical need for face shields, and because many of the products that we make are plastic-based, 
we felt that we could transition our manufacturing to be able to supply those critically needed items and do it rather rapidly. So the organizations used to change. We have an overriding need. We have employees who want to step up and contribute. So it really, although the change is great and difficult, I think the team I've got was well up to the challenge. And again, I cannot emphasize enough leadership like you that are stepping up to really impact hundreds, if not thousands of lives is truly remarkable. Being that this is manufacturing based though, if we can get into a little bit of the nuts and bolts, you know, a lot of people, they're seeing stories like, you know, Matico, all hands on deck doing things. And from a feel good standpoint, people can relate, they understand, they see the impact, the result of the efforts that you, your team, and your innovations are doing. But from a manufacturing standpoint, can you simply kind of walk through when you made that decision, what does it take in terms of molds, you know, kitting, workflow process, assembly process, like what all, if you can kind of give some people context, because we're seeing all over the news, hey, you know, companies are stepping up within three weeks, they went from no operation to full automation or operate. Can you just kind of walk through from the moment you made the decision about when was that to where you guys did get to where you were actually in production, I guess, what were all of the decisions and activities that you had to take to get to where you could make these products immediately? Sure. So if we can start with really identifying the need less than two weeks ago, so this is not, we haven't had long time to work on this process. So once we identified the need and I had the idea that we could service that need, the majority of the products that we make today are made in a roll-to-roll format. So we bring in large rolls of various kinds of plastic filmic material, and we run it through a coating machine where we mix chemicals, apply coatings onto these films, run them through ovens to dry the coatings, laminate them together into various structures, and it's highly technical, Mm. wind it back up. But most of what we sell today are in roll format. So we'll sell rolls again that will go to be used for medical test strips, or for window film, for your cars, or safety security film for houses and armored vehicles and those sorts of things. But we do have a small part of our business where we manufacture cut shapes from these filmic materials for trains and bus windows, for safety and security applications, and we make screen protectors for phones and tablets and those sorts of things. So that gave us an indication that we could do this. So I pulled two engineers away from their regular duties, and between those two gentlemen and myself, we started a skunk works operation, and in about I don't know, less than two days, we had developed a prototype that we had hand-built. We took that prototype and working with the local county economic development center who pulled in to work with us, some local healthcare officials, 
and some emergency responders from the fire department and different local county services, we were able to then get these units out to be field tested. So within four days, we built a prototype, we have them being field tested, we receive feedback on the field testing of the device, and we came up with a unique, what we believe it was unique at the time, a disposable type of face mask, as opposed to the face shields that use the hard shell headband and then have a face shield attached to it because the healthcare officials were having very much difficulty in how do they clean those. So after each use, how do we clean the headgear? How do we deal with that? And so we came up with this lower cost disposable unit. So that all happened within the first four to to six days. Once we had the design, then we sent it out. We got ANSI certification. So we had to meet all of the ANSI flashguard certifications. So we did that. We pulled together a team to really handle all of our internal processes. So you have to create part numbers. You have to start sourcing materials, which is no small task because now we're sourcing different types of closures and different types of foams for headbands, et cetera, from suppliers that we've never used before. So we had to go out to our network find people that could help us find people to start building the supply chain of all of those sorts of materials. That's all kind of external to source materials, get the design, but then we had to set up a manufacturing process. So because we don't do well, really any assembly today, we had to create a whole assembly line to be able to assemble these units. We had to create packaging for them. And then we had to be able to transition people over and, you know, train them in now these new work operations. So all of that has been very consuming for us, but we've really only been at it for two weeks. Now, Sean, again, you're being extremely humble because in my world, I understand additive manufacturing. So for, again, the listeners, when you're working with plastics, correct me if I'm wrong, (laughs) 100% (laughs) of the products that are being made, if not for every industry, every customer has very specific, sometimes NDA written additive chemistries that make each individual product unique. So the fact that within four to six days, you were able to come up with the chemistry that would work for field testing. And then on top of that, I want to point this out. It's one thing to just make some things in your garage. But as you alluded to, (laughs) for you to not only raise your hand and volunteer and say, we're going to go all in, feedback has come back to say, well, you also have to be compliant. So to get the ANSI certification, to you know, put together, I would say, some ISO conforming processes to be repeatable and consistent and have, you know, an actual process in place. It is unbelievable that you were able to achieve this in two weeks. And just for a little context as the, I would say, the crescendo of all of this, two weeks ago, you are making zero. 
Do you know right now about how much you're That's exactly right today? We're right now at a production rate of about 5,000 units a day. By the end of next week, we hope to have that doubled. And we're looking, reaching out for more materials to help us do more. We have one machine that's our limiting bottleneck. So we're looking for ways around that. Are there some outsourcing we can do for that particular process to really increase? But the demand is so critical. Once we've done no advertising, there was one local article, but word of mouth from that local article, the number of healthcare professionals and emergency response groups that have contacted us is just overwhelming. So the need is really, really critical. And so again, we're doing everything we can to try to, to meet that need. So again, two weeks ago, zero, now 5,000 units, and you hope to be at 10,000 units. Right, that's correct. So incredible. Where are the finished products going? Do you know? Yes. So our first orders went to part of our local healthcare network. There are a number of hospitals within that network. So the first orders went to them. The second order went to our local emergency response group in the county. So the fire departments, the ambulance services, those sorts of people. Since then, we've had various hospital networks from around the country, Maine, Massachusetts, Cincinnati, Ohio, that have all reached out to us directly and we're starting to provide materials for them as well. Now, I do want to point this out because, again, as I'm giving credit to you and your amazing team, I want any listeners that would maybe question or want to make sure. You know, we've heard the president talk about he hasn't had to implement any forcible act for a manufacturer to make these products. So to be clear, our federal government did not force your hand to do what you're doing. You no, no. team chose to do this, correct? Yeah, we all volunteered to do that. So it, I just sent out a notice to, you know, to my whole team. And really, uh, you know, I think I said in here that what we're doing today, okay, is different than anything we've ever done in the past. But it's also possibly the most important thing the company's ever done. Because we really believe that because these are critical life-saving devices that are really, really needed. Now, I want to talk a little bit about, so obviously, now the listeners know everything that's gone into the efforts and what you're producing now. We know you've identified, you know, where the demand is coming from, where these units are getting delivered. I guess, is there anything more that you can add that maybe the listeners would need to know too, in terms of, you know, when we talk about partnering with the local industry leaders, I guess what conversations or what partnerships or support do you need then when you say, hey, everyone, we're going to step up. We are producing, you know, 5,000 of these face shields, you know, a week. We need your help to what? Get them out. Can you talk a little bit of just about, you know, what is that partnership yeah. with the local industry leaders and then how are they helping you to help more people. Yeah, I think the county economic development group has been phenomenal in this regard. 
once we were connected with them, they pulled together sort of a task force of okay. uh, local healthcare leaders, local EMS people, and industry leaders. And with this identified list of critical items, then they've been working with local manufacturers on how we can supply that. So we had stepped in already to do the shields, but there are other manufacturers in the area. One, for example, makes tuxedos and formal wear. Okay. Not today. Today they're making the N95 masks okay. because they have sewing machines and that capability. So there are others that have stepped up, and I've been very impressed with how the local economic development center has really helped to connect the various pieces where it was needed. Wow. Now, let's talk now again, brand new suppliers, brand new material in some cases. Through this remarkable two weeks, I guess <laughs> I guess what was and what has always been in terms of being fluid and able to react to change, what is the company's contingency plan for supply chain interruptions, both in what business was prior to this pandemic and maybe to now? Is it relatable? Is it similar? Is it different? And how so? Well, I would say that prior to this pandemic, we obviously kept an adequate inventory on site. So we have a month or so's inventory of many of our key raw materials. We had multiple suppliers for most of our products. And if we look at where they're manufactured, although some of the raw materials were manufactured in Asia, most were manufactured in the U.S., a little bit in Europe. But having multiple supply lines and alternates was a, a key component of, of what we did. However, even with our core businesses, as this pandemic's hit, some of the raw materials that we utilize uh, have become in shorter supply. For example, we use IPA alcohol in part of our process to make the hard coats for some of our products to keep them from scratching, et cetera. And that's become a critical component to be used in hand sanitizer. So there are shortages and we have an allocation of what we had. But we have an R&D team on site. So we've had our R&D team working on reformulating our products so that they don't use any alcohol and that the alcohol that can then be reserved for you know, hand sanitizer and other more critical uses. That's part of what we've been doing with our existing supply chain. But with a new supply chain, it's very, very difficult because, you know, first, if we need hook and loop closures, we've never bought them before. So now we've got to find out who makes them, where can we get them, and oh, by the way, we need thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of these things. We don't just need a little amount. So that's been, uh, it's been difficult. We've found adequate supply, but it's been a challenge. And now that we have the initial supply, we're out trying to secure a backup supply in case 
something interrupts the primary supply, we'll still have something to fall back on. So again, because I'm still just humbled that within two weeks time, you guys are targeting to produce 10,000 of these face shields to help thousands of lives. And I think on behalf of Matico, it's amazing that you are working to protect, keep lives safe, health is important. What about internally? It's great that Matico is going all hands on deck to help thousands of lives. How do you do that while you protect your own team's health and safety? And what steps or measures have you guys taken to ensure as best as possible that happens? Yeah, that's a really good question. I'll say that at the beginning of this pandemic, my job as the CEO and leader of the organization was really to keep people calm because employees were frightened, people were frightened. A lot of information through a lot of different medias was confusing for people and they didn't understand. So being able to help them understand what the information meant or didn't mean was an important part of what we did. But early on, OSHA and the CDC put out guidelines for how to deal with, you know, the COVID-19 virus. So we started by following those guidelines. All of our employees who could telecommute are now telecommuting. And so we've had to adapt to that new reality and way of working together. We canceled all of our events. So any kind of trade show or any kind of big event like that that we had planned we canceled. We canceled all travel except for emergency type travel for our employees. Anyone was sick, we insisted that they stay home. We had a corporate policy that, you know, if you're out for three days, you need a doctor's note to kind of verify that. We eliminated all those requirements mm -hmm. and asked people to stay home. We provided hand sanitizer with little carabiners for all of our employees so they could have hand sanitizer with them at all times. We put in place social distancing rules and modified our workstations and even moved people from offices <laughs> so that they could keep a minimum of six feet distance from each other. We modified some shift schedules so that we had fewer people here at any one time to again, reduce that social contact and interaction. So a number of things like that, that we put in place to try to protect people. But I think, uh, you know, just being there and talking to them and making sure that, you know, they feel like we care about them. Because the one thing that I personally do and, couldn't have done otherwise is if I have people out in production that are going to come into work, then I'm going to be here. Right. Mm -hmm. So, and I think that helps them feel a little more comfortable as well. Incredible. Now I have a couple questions and I think it's important to ask these because again, I think with any pandemic or disruption and there's leaders in every manufacturing industry that are looking for, you know, some help, some guidance. This is their first go around. Their company is an incubator or only 10 or 20 years old. I guess I want to go back to, you know, your intro. We talked about, uh, you know, your guys' global sales, 
the investment and the commitment that you had in the future. So I want to pretend we're not talking about the thousands of lives you're impacting today because of two weeks and changing and now producing almost 10,000 <laughs> face shields weekly. Let's go back to before that happened. You invested you know, in your location. You have this vision and uh, this commitment towards the future. Can you just first, I want to talk about this question, and then I have a follow-up. What was the plan in terms of either technologies or industries where your vision for you know, Matico is, this is where we want to go in the next 10 to 15 years? Sure. Well, I could give you a little bit of the history. Okay. Uh, we had two manufacturing sites that were both producing coated and laminated type products. One in Woburn, Massachusetts, just outside of Boston, and then another south of here in St. Petersburg, Florida. But both facilities were aging facilities. We had been in it, both facilities since the 1970s. And so they were landlocked, not a lot of room to grow. So the idea was to consolidate into a single facility much larger than the two facilities combined, at the same time to upgrade our manufacturing capabilities to allow us to produce a wider range of material sets and to increase our efficiency on producing the products that we did. So all of that was completed and we had our grand opening on February 13th, so everything was uh, good, and then obviously the coronavirus hit. But our vision was really for growth. We were looking to diversify, and some of the markets that we had targeted and new products that we were working on, one was a roofing material product, Okay. Used for like stadium roofs for, you know, football fields, soccer arenas, those sorts of things. Just to clarify, are you talking like an anodized processing or a anodized coating, like on metal? No, it could include some metal that would be applied using a sputtering process at our Kentucky facility. But the advantage of the product that we made over existing products, so if you looked at stadiums that had those white billowy roofs, Perhaps if you watch the last Olympics in China, their main uh, building, yep. this is a material that replaces that. Oh. It's much stronger and it's much clearer than the existing material sets. And because we have a history and experience in solar energy control and in decorative films, we can make it any color you want. We can make it control UV, IR, all those sorts of things. So we were really looking to launch that product. Now, obviously, that's been slowed down with no sporting events happening, but that was an example. In the medical field, we were expanding our diagnostic test strip line. We have some antimicrobial films, which we're still making and are preparing to launch because I think they'll be valued today to go on phones and tablets and countertops and desks and all those sorts of things. Now, can you share for the listeners what kind of capability that would be without disclosing maybe the secret sauce? Yeah, I think the 
the fundamental strength that we have is in our chemistry. Okay. So we, our R&D group is, you know, mostly composed of a variety of different kind of chemists who are creating all of these various chemical formulations that do all sorts of things because the products that we make, many of them, you know, have to last a long time in a lot of different environments. Sure. So they have to make specialized formulas that they test uh, to completion. But the chemistry is the main thing. And then it's the how we apply that chemistry to whatever type of material we're using, whether it's a polypropylene, polyethylene, polyester, polyolefin, whatever the plastic material is. Do you see in the future, so again, because I'm dying to ask you this next question, but I have to ask this one first. <laughs> okay. When we talk right. about, so in my world, I, you know, like with Kogane, we always talk about limiting factors. So for us, it's this concept of miniaturization. Obviously, as you can relate, we have more and more manufacturing companies saying, hey, if we can be more like Asia market, which I'm sure you're well-versed, what Japan has done very well, because of if you look at their history, small geography. Kogane, being a Japanese-based company, is very, very good at making a product from raw material to finished product in a smaller workflow process dimensionally than... I would say most people. So for us, the future is how small can you go from raw material down to the end of the conveyor, you know, dimensionally? And that would obviously impact overhead costs. It improves production rate, right? Things like that. In your industry, if we were to say, what is the limiting factor or the ultimate technology? Is it, do you see, I guess, the future being different additives? So we have different chemistries that are going to be used, like for example, we hear words like gorilla glass or different types of coatings or, you know, you see a window, right? So growing up as a kid, I remember looking at corporate America and seeing these windows crystal clear. I saw maybe dad, maybe an uncle with the tie on, you know, nowadays they're mirrored, they're shaded, they're tinted. You know, you see all this new technology. From a technology standpoint, I mean, what is it that you're seeing in the future? And, and I'm sure it's going to depend on, obviously, what markets, right? So medical, it might be a different chemistry where it's, you know, neutral right. phase of static or contamination. And maybe in, uh, you know, construction, it's, to your point, more robust and can last through any type of inclement weather. So you're getting a longer life. I guess, is there things in all of your years of experience that you're seeing kind of that future point of, from a technology standpoint, what's maybe coming down the line that excites you? Yeah, I think that certainly it's in the chemistry area. Okay. And if you look much like the miniaturization in the electronics and other parts, in being able to reduce the particle sizes that are combined in the various chemical formulations is really an exciting part of what we're developing. So there's a lot of talk in the industry about nanoparticles and nano-sized coatings because it allows us to do some things with the coatings that give us physical properties that we could never get before. So I think it's smaller, still better in our industry. Yeah. All right. So here's the big question I've been dying to ask. Like everybody that I talk to in manufacturing. So here we are today. 
you go home, you love your family, you reach out to them, you make sure they're safe, they're okay. This pandemic has changed everybody. It's changed the way Matico goes to business. Right now, your focus is helping as many lives as possible. In regard to what the vision was in February, to you look at, and I know you're humble, but to me, it's humbling to talk to you and to know how many lives you're impacting to however many you may not know, maybe hopefully one day, has this pandemic now changed your thoughts on the future of Matico in terms of applauding your team internally to see how fast you can pivot to do something brand new that you've never done? So does it open your mind to maybe curiosity or the idea that, wow, I've seen our team rally like never before. The capability or opportunity is endless. Or do you see now, because of this pandemic, will Matico look at different industries or say, hey, if we can do this, I guess have things changed since the pandemic? Yeah, I would say definitely yes. So I think if we look at how the team has been able to respond, how we've been able to launch a completely new product in, you know, just a really, really short period of time, I think the lesson in that is if we focus our resources on something that everybody's on board with, Mm -hmm. everybody is clear about what the objective is, we can do amazing things. And I think that will extend beyond just what we're doing today, because sometimes we get bogged down in business where we've got these 20 great projects and we spread our resources way too thin, mm -hmm. trying to work on 20 projects at once, rather than focusing on what's the most important at the time. In the supply chain area, I think that forever the world's going to be changed because I think people are going to say that, hey, we had way too much reliance on having critical components in one or two regions of the world. And I think regional manufacturing or of those components or raw materials is going to become more of a reality and a part of a business model in the future than it would have been in the past. And unfortunately for Matico, we make you know, over 5,000 different products. So we make a lot of different kinds of products that go different places. And a portion of our business is to large corporations. Those guys will survive and those businesses will continue. But a significant portion of our business goes to small, really small entrepreneurial shops. So window film dealers and those people are going to struggle many of them may not survive this pandemic. And so I think that's going to change how we think about business and how we might be able to better support them in the future. All I can say is, wow, Sean, it has been a complete honor. So again, listeners, Sean Kitchell, president and CEO of Matico, I wanna personally thank you. I know your time is limited. I'm sure you've got a line of people that you've got to take care of right now. So I want to thank you, Sean, for being a guest of the Where's Willie podcast. I am personally pulling for you, your family, your entire team, their family. 
I will be reaching out to as many as possible through LinkedIn and other social networks just to simply say thank you. To do what you guys have done in two weeks, and I'm just, I'm blown away because I have been over a decade in manufacturing. I understand that it's not just simply, yeah, we'll start making this tomorrow. So I have a tremendous <laughs> amount of respect for your leadership and understand very clear everything that it takes to take a raw material, go into a brand new workflow process, and within two weeks, be close to producing 10,000 know, face shields to impact thousands of lives in this COVID-19 epidemic. So we are all pulling for you at Matico. I thank you so much for your leadership, your time, and all that you are doing to help others as we fight to find a cure for COVID-19. As always, I want to thank all you listeners for tuning in. If you're a first-time listener, I invite you to jump over to Podbean, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hit the subscribe button. Don't forget to leave a rating and review of my show so I can work to give you more of what you want to hear in the world of manufacturing, amazing leadership like you just heard today, and everyday life. If you're in manufacturing and you have a story that you want to share and be a guest of the show, the process is simple. Please go to whereswilliepodcast.com and request to be a guest of the show. My producer, Linda Hopler, will get in touch with you to complete the registration and scheduling process. All guests are free to the show, and we look forward to sharing your story with our listeners. I thank you all so much. Thank you for tuning in to the Where's Willie Show. For more information on future shows, please visit Where'sWillyPodcast.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Where's Willie Podcast and on Twitter at Where's Willie POD. Thank you all so much. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>